first of all, what what made you decide to be an author to begin with? And what kind of stories did you want to tell as an author? Uh, what made me... Oh, jeez, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, ah, shit, man. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> I don't okay. know. I remember, like, it's that, that bookcase that you've got behind you. Yep. Is that, that's full of DVDs, is yep. it, and CDs and stuff? That's correct. Yeah. So All I, Blu-rays I remember thinking, yeah. They are, yeah. Um, I always remember looking at bookcases with authors on them, and I just thought that's, that's the coolest thing in the world is to do that. I want to do that, so... Um, and I grew up in Ireland where that was just um, just an everyday part of life um, was words and language and all that kind of stuff. So it was like growing up with soccer in Brazil or, say, ice hockey in Canada. It wasn't a big thing to be a writer or a poet or a songwriter in Ireland. It was just like um, it was just something that every other person did. So, um, yeah, that, I, I just... I was always fascinated by it. And then the writers who wrote about um, like real life, they, they always, uh, I'm not really into fantasy or, um, you know, sci-fi and all that kind of stuff. So I always liked the writing that was just about what it was like to be uh, human. Mm-hmm. So that, that was always what fascinated me and, and what I enjoy writing about. Cause that, that's what I find the most difficult about being a human is actually being a human. So it's good to just, <laughs> explore it and and um yeah like it'd be your story about the four dogs and the air conditioner and the potential fatal illness sparking <laughs> the the first um almanac of of australian film yeah like, that's really interesting to me yep that would be a good short novel to write about that and coming home maybe from the hospital not feeling well and looking at four exhausted old hot dogs in the middle of the room and thinking your priority is I've really got to get these guys an air conditioner, even though they're a couple of years away from definite death yeah. anyway. But I find that that stuff's really interesting. So I'm lucky that the mundane fascinates me in that way. Yeah. I like how you've immediately woven a story out of something that uh, to me feels, yeah, basic. It's It feels mundane. And yet the way that you're talking makes it feel like it's grander than it could be or should be or might be, you know, it It should be. Yeah. Yeah, It should be. Yeah. And that's really nice. It's nice to be able to um, honor the mundane, uh, which is hard to do. (laughs) How did you, how did you find your voice in managing to do that? Um, I just, I found if you write honestly as possible, um, it's, it's, it's the hardest thing and the easiest thing to do. Uh, if you can cross that threshold where you don't mind embarrassing yourself, that's the hardest canyon to get over as a writer or as a songwriter or as a filmmaker. But once you're prepared to expose yourself completely, mm. the writing becomes the easiest form of writing because it's it almost writes itself. Yeah. So you went from being a novelist to a filmmaker, which is... Uh, not a common journey. Usually people tend to stay in a, a creative lane and then just be comfortable in that and that's it. Um, but yet you've you've decided to push out of the boundaries of that. Um, where was the desire to do that? How did that come about? Uh, pro- I think film, for me, I just look at them as all different uh, art forms. So they're very similar. They're just different uh, kind of tools. 
So I've 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 um I've worked as an author, I've worked as a songwriter and now I've worked as a filmmaker. They're all kind of the same. Um they're just different in a, in a, in a way. Um and film was my first I kind of I think that was my first art form love affair was with film when I was a, a teenager. Uh, I was a very very introverted teenager so I just spent a lot of time um I spent a lot of time by myself playing basketball. <laughs> And a lot of time watching movies, so I'm a really good three point shooter, and I, <laughs> and I know and I know Italian cinema all the way through to New York uh, late nineties cinema. So um, the the switch, I, I was going to do a book tour with my with my novel Bird that came out last year, mm. um, but COVID hit, um, and I had a book tour. I had an album released and a and Bird at the same time. And the plan was to go to like wineries and do house parties where I'd play for an hour and then kind of um, release the book at different, different spots. And I only got to do one and then everything got shut down. So um, all my, I lost all my gigs um, and obviously couldn't do any book tours. So I was like, well, what am I going to do? I could write another book. Um, But I just started playing around with an idea for a screenplay. So I just thought, you know, this could go on for, a, a, a year i didn't know it was going to go on for two years maybe three years mm. um so it was just a bright opportunity and and a bit like you saying that awareness of of your own mortality like if you don't do it when are you going to do it so i um i'd, I'd been wanting to make a film since i was a late teenager um and you know 20 years later i hadn't so it was just kind of yeah it was just the, the perfect opportunity so um yeah that so i just thought i'd go for it yeah, that that is kind of inspirational. Just be like, you know what? I, I'll take this opportunity and seize it, and and just go for it. Because um, we so often just tell ourselves that ah, oh, I might do this, I might do that, and you put yeah. it on the map, and you're like, oh, I think I should do this. And everybody wants to write a book, or everybody wants to make a movie and stuff. But actually doing those things and sitting down and doing it, having the discipline to do it, is hard. Um, it, it's not easy to push yourself and wake up in the morning and and. You know, because people just look at a completed book and they go, well, that's a completed book. That must have been easy. Or they watch a film. They're like, that's a completed film. It must have been easy to do. But then they don't realize that there's those hard days in between where you're like, you wake up in the morning and you have to, you've dedicated the day to doing something or to doing a shoot or to doing, writing the script or something. And you're like, I just, I don't feel it today. I, I don't have the energy today or something like that. But you have to push through it. It's it's hard to do. Um, did you have challenges like that for yourself at all? Oh, what, through making the film. Uh through making the film and through writing your books as well. Oh yeah, it, but that muscle is that muscle that gets transferred through the different art forms. That muscle of well, look, I'll just and, and you don't even have to push through a whole day. You might just do an hour a day, mm. um, and then you might you might do half an hour a day as long as you keep going. Um, you wake up a year later and there's a shitload of work has been done. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, uh, in a sense, when you look at a book, yeah, it kind of was easy because it only took 30 minutes a day for 18 months yeah. or whatever, whatever it was. Um, uh, but yeah, you, I think that muscle just gets, I mean, you must have it by keeping the website up to date, keeping the interviews up to date. There's a discipline there um, that you just have to keep on, on, on top of all the time. Yes. Um, and you'd be able to take that discipline to when you're putting the book together, you're going to have that discipline already in, in place. 
Yeah, yeah. Is I tell you what, it is hard because you sit there and you think, oh gosh, um, what am I doing? And you have that self doubt to start off with. You have the the interest of of all this kind of stuff, and that's where it's a bit of, uh, for me at least, it's a bit of um, ego massaging in a way where you're like, I mean you recognizing that you might be good enough to actually do something that people would be interested in reading or watching or doing. Yeah. Uh, that's a hard thing to do because it sounds like you're so egotistical at times, but it's the choice of words that you use to describe it. But in a lot of ways, it's, it's, um, you know, having confidence in yourself, which is hard. Uh, but it comes with time. It comes with doing those half hours a day and then rereading what you're doing and going, this is not bad. <laughs> this is not bad. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah. hopefully, exactly. Yeah. And it yeah. sounds, I, I, I'm sure that some people who might be listening might go, oh, that sounds a little bit pretentious. But is having that confidence in knowing your worth and knowing your value, which is hard to do um, because we are, we often so eagerly reflect and compare ourselves to everybody else. We so often just hold up somebody else's review or interview and go, ah, oh, they asked those questions or they did this and stuff and, and I didn't do that. And it's easy to forget what you've done that makes your stuff an interest to other people. Um, yeah. 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 I think you also have to be um, comfortable with not doing a good job every now and then as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I agree. And, and you can look to, like in the film world, you look at someone like, uh, we, like you could pick literally any director. They've all the masters have all made dreadful movies at some point, mm. um, and I won't name names because I don't want to offend anyone. But like you know, there are and the same for novels, uh, the same the same for everything. Like, um, I, no, I, I'm really tempted to start naming names, but, <laughs> but I won't. Um, but there's so many terrible albums from brilliant. Uh, musicians and there's so many terrible films from master filmmakers so it's okay to um to write something that no one's interested in mm. exactly you know, that, that that's fine there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that's part of the and, and at the end of the day you're really doing it to spend your time on earth doing something you're interested in yeah yeah which you know we never know how long that might be um who knows and so we've got to make the most of our, the time that we're here um, yeah. So was that always a goal for you then to tick off that you got music out there, that you got a book, and now you've got a film? Is Was that kind of the, always the goal to to make yourself feel complete in those fields? Uh, yeah, I think I think definitely. Um, I, I think I, I wouldn't like to live with those regrets mm. of, of being um, – I'm, I'm, I'm 41 now, and I would hate to be now – you know, working a job that I absolutely didn't like at all and thinking, oh, you know, geez, I really should have written those books and I should have, I should have learned that guitar and I should have, and I should, you know, I'm just not interested in, in that. Um, and I'd much rather go through the pain of, of embarrassing myself as an author or a filmmaker rather than go through that self-loathing pain of, geez, I've wasted this time on earth here. Like, uh, yeah, so it was important. Not necessarily. Well, they were important to me, but if I had been brought up differently or in a different place, I don't know. I'm being a, uh, uh, a a Jewish pastor in a synagogue or something. You know, I would have done something else. But yeah, just like to live intentionally was always important to me. Mm. Not to just drift along 
and be a passenger in my own life. Is that, yeah. geez, we talk about pretentious, Andrew. That sounds very pretentious, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, to live with intent, basically, yeah. rightly or wrongly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason why I asked that is that that feels like a, a through line in Edward and Isabella, where it's like these two people who are in a relationship and unsure what their future might be together. Do you want to spend all this time with this person? Do you want to spend all this time dedicating time to growing, learning and loving this other person? Maybe they do things that, that irritate you or, or make you happy. And that in itself is something that we may not consciously think about when we're in relationships, whether it's romantic or familial or friendship wise. But it seems to always be simmering there whether, you know, do we enjoy spending time with these people? Do we enjoy wanting to spend our lives with this other person? And that seems to be a key. Well, it is a key through line in Edward and Isabella where you have these two people who are questioning themselves both uh, in the presence of each other and then in the presence of a therapist. Um, so it feels like you're exercising some demons there too. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, um, so, yeah. I mean, they're they're very they're um, it, like it's that that space in between when you move from relationship and then you're in no relationship and then you're testing the waters of a possible relationship and there are those moments where you think, do I actually want to be in a relationship with any human ever? Uh, and then you might spend, uh, you know, a week or a month or six months by yourself, and that might become very terrifying. So then you're, uh, oh no, I need, I need to have another human around. Uh, this is getting too dark. So, um, yeah, if that through line comes through, that that's that is that's terrific. If it is, yeah, yeah, it is clear. It's there, and it's to me that's the strength of the film that makes it relatable it makes it enjoyable to to sit with because it is so universal the themes are so universal there um when you're writing the script what kind of how did you go about writing the script and what points did you want to hit on in your first draft that you would improve on in subsequent drafts uh what points um i just i kind of like to go with the flow of the writing so i didn't necessarily have like I need to include this and I need to include that. I just wanted to, um, it's very, I found it really interesting writing the screenplay compared to the, um, compared to say a novel, because you are writing with images that you don't have to put down on the, on the screenplay itself. Mm. So it's, it's a very peculiar, like one of the coolest things about films is when they talk about that movie magic, that what you see on screen and then what you interpret in your head is no one else sees it. It's what it's what happens in the pictures that you make in your head as an audience. And that happens with the screenwriter. You're you're kind of, I suppose you're hoping that the the images that you're planning to put on up there are going to help the audience come to the same kind of conclusions. It's like a very weird process. It's like writing without words. It's mm. very very unusual. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. But um, I don't think I answered your question at all. But, no, um, no, you did, yeah. Because the, the answers for questions always, you know, that's why I enjoy what I do because I get to... I get to ask a question and sometimes you, the expected answer is not what you get, <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay, and it's good then. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Um, 
I, I really like the your two leads here as well. And, you know, I've seen Chloe before and I've really enjoyed her. And I, I enjoyed her performances before. And I interviewed her way back when uh, for A Few Less Men, I think it was. And so it's really nice to see her back in Australia doing Australian films too. Can you talk about the casting process for this as well? Were they both in kind of down WA and that's how you managed to get them? Um, yeah, Chloe came back from, I think, Los Angeles to be with her uh, mum and dad. Um, and Daniel was living, I think he's from over East. I think he was living with his partner in birth. Um, but the car, I, I just put the casting call out on four different Facebook actors groups. Um, so I, I didn't know Chloe and I, and I didn't know that she was in Perth or anything. So um, Chloe just, Chloe is a soldier yeah. and she just uh, saw the casting call and then just put in, a, you know, sent an email. I sent her some pages and then she just sent an audition tape in just like everyone else. And, and I think we got close to 200 auditions. Wow. Um, oh, yeah. It, uh, it was absolutely crazy. So but hers was just so brilliant. Like I, 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 if she had worn a different t-shirt, I could have used her audition tape in the film. Like if it had to fit the color tone of the film. Yeah, it was that good. So um, it was just terrific. Um, and Daniel, Daniel sent me a video. Daniel's the, the guy that Daniel is the actor who plays uh, Edward. He sent me a video of himself doing interpretive dance. Uh, so, <laughs> that's an, that's an uh, interesting audition tape, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to ask Daniel. Uh, he's an interesting man, Daniel, so you'd have to ask him why on earth he sent me that. Um, but I saw he he was dressed all in black and he had a like a Farley Granger haircut from Strangers on a Train and I liked the way he looked. And he was doing this very silly interpretive dance with this uh, uh, in a video clip with this musician and I liked how comfortable he was in doing very bizarre things. And I thought if he, cause I didn't obviously hear him speak cause he was just doing these dance moves. So I thought if he can speak and if he can do that even half as well as he's slow motion dancing with a smoke machine in a quarry, which is what he was doing. I thought this, this could be interesting. So then we asked Daniel to, to read some pages. Um, and then he went to the top of the male list with two other males and Chloe went to the top of the list by herself for the female role. And then we did a chemistry test with um, Chloe and the three potential leads and her, herself and Daniel were just, just incredible. The other two guys were incredible as well, but yeah, um, Daniel and Chloe were just, just terrific. Yeah. And they, they feel like they've had a relationship for a long time here, which is hard to do. You know, that's really yeah. hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of direction did you give them both when on, on day one? On day one, they turned up so prepared, like so ridiculously prepared. So um, they were, and they were willing to try anything and do anything. So we were able to shoot um, each scene, even though we had a very uh, tight schedule. We were only shooting for, I think it was 18 days. And I think we had 33 or 36 scenes in total over those 18 days. But they were so prepared, we were able to take one or two takes just straight, and then we were able to do uh, a little bit of improvisation. And then you could just ask them, all right, let's go straight back to on the page. 
And then they just knew the stuff backwards and forwards. Like it was just unbelievable. Um, and you didn't because the because the casting was so rigorous, Andrew. Yeah. That 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 cliche that that um, direction is ninety percent casting. It's so true because you just had to say, you know, bring that down a little bit, or can you be a little bit nicer in this bit? Or there was you didn't have to like bring someone off into the corner and talk to them for three hours and anything like that. So they they just understood what each scene was about and they very very rarely came in with a bizarre interpretation if, if at all um so yeah the, i didn't have to give them that much that much direction at all uh, i kind of got it their way um and and yeah it was it was really it was quite a pleasure it was really a real real pleasure yeah it, it shows on screen i understand this is your first directorial film is that correct yeah that's right yeah have you directed anything else prior to this no. So you just you just knock it out of the park with this. <laughs> so it's like you just sit there and you're like, oh, yeah, no worries. I'll just do this. Like that, that, that that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, thanks, Andrew. Yeah. If, yeah. I'll take that. Knock it out of the park. We'll put that on the poster. That's yeah. lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, I, I haven't. I've never done. I'm, I'm not. Um, I, I'm too introverted. I, I couldn't like be in a theater group and hang out with, you know, designers and costume makers and actors. I just can't, it's too, it's too uncomfortable for me. So, um, yeah, that's why the film's so tiny. That's why it's so small. Yeah. I mean, this kind of feels like the kind of film that I would make. Like it's the, the, the comfort of just having two people. It it feels. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, So how did you grow your directorial style, style then? How did you find your own voice? Was it just, as you were going or was it because of the confidence of what you had written down on the page? Then I tell you that, that like I'm, I'm, I'm not an artist who is very um, uh, self-loathing. If I write something and I like it, I, I usually like what I, what I do. So you can, uh, you know, <laughs> you can take that for how it sounds, but it's true. So it's like, Oh no, that was a good song. Yeah. I'm going to play that song tonight, you know, or, this was a good book. I'll send this off. So there's not a lot of um, like second guessing, but when I put the script out to the, to, to the casting call, I was getting auditions from actors who either didn't connect very well or just weren't very good actors. And I was getting like these monologues back and I was like, Oh, what have I done? This is, this writing it, it might not be as good as I think, as I thought it was. Um, and then I got like people like, um, Chloe, she she would she sent me something that was exactly the same, and it was like, oh no, it's okay, it's brilliant, it is brilliant, it's fantastic, yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know with regard, I was confident if we got together, we'd be able to work it out. Like that same idea of transferring that that those worked muscles between art forms, um, like your taste will transfer to to directorial choices. I hoped, I thought it would, and I, and I think it did. So. Um, and, and I also, I, I watched hundreds of hours of my favorite directors in the leading months before we started shooting. So I'd spent a lot of time getting ideas of how to do it. Um, so I'd watch, cause it's, you can literally watch hundreds of hours mm. now on, on online. And I was watching Mike Lee talk about it and uh, Woody Allen talk about it and Francis Ford Coppola and Scorsese. Alfred Hitchcock, uh, you know, you literally, you can listen to everyone. And they all said the same thing. They all came down to saying that about two things. 
Uh, and the first one was to just make your first film. They all said that, especially Francis Ford Coppola. He said, you have to make your first film, which is um, my favorite quote from Reservoir Dogs. Old Joe Cabot says, you just have to shit your pants, dive in and swim. <laughs> so I took I took that approach to it. And, and it's so true. And not just with filmmaking, with it, with anything. Um, and the other thing that they all said, and I was amazed that they all said it, but they, they all said it's a collaborative art form. Mm. So when you are on set and you're shooting, yes, you're the director, you're really just another body in the room. And if the actors want to make a contribution or the guy holding the boomstick or the guy on the lights or the, or, or the girl who turns up with the lunches to deliver the lunches, if she has a suggestion before she leaves, listen to that suggestion if you have time, try it out because it might be really, really wonderful. And what, what you as a group are going to come up with is usually going to be better than what you would come up with yourself demanding that everyone else does. So you, 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 keep, uh, you keep a kind of a loving atmosphere in the, in the space and then everyone feels comfortable to, um, to try things and, and contribute things and feel valued. Um, so, yeah, you just get a... Um, I, I was relying on that. I was, I was relying on listening to interviews of uh, uh, yeah of old and sometimes dead directors. Um, but it turns out they were they were hundred percent right. Well, those those names you mentioned, they know what they're talking about. You know, there's and the the blessing that we have with you know over a hundred years of film history to pull from and draw from is that there are countless different styles of filmmaking, countless different formats of filmmaking that we can all learn from and grow from, uh, whether it's as writers or whether it's as filmmakers or anything like that. Um, the, the the nature of going to film school is important for some, but on the same hand, uh, learning from the filmmakers and the films themselves is almost as strong a discipline. Um, and they're both valuable. They're both important because somebody like yourself who's never made a film in their life can sit down and go, here's a script, here's a cast, I'm going to make this film, and then you make it and you've got it out there and it's good. And that's hard to do. Like, And even if it wasn't good, at least you've sat down there and you've made that first film. As you're saying, making that first film is the most important thing because everything that you learn on this, you'll improve on the next one. And exactly. that's really important. <clears throat> um, yeah. I want to talk about the score as well, because that's as much of a, you know, as I know this is a, 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 a silly phrase that gets thrown around a lot where uh, people say it a lot, but basically the score is a character in itself. Uh, it is quite an important aspect of it. Can you talk about how you went about organizing the score for, for this film? Yeah. When you say score, Andrew, do you mean the, the actual traditional score or do you mean the, the songs and music on, uh, both, on top as well? Both. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you've got a varied oral landscape of the film. Like it's a varied layering, which reinforces who the characters are. So how did you choose what to put in there and what not to put in there? Um, I, I've, I got in touch with uh, a guy called Jonathan uh, Ji Hong Yang who is uh, an Australian, uh, I, I don't know how old he is. He's, he might be 22 or 23. Um, he might be a bit, a bit older, but, but I'm not sure. He, he's either just finished or he's just finished a couple of years ago from uh, WAPA. Um, so he, he did a, 
I think he did about five different pieces where he composed the original music. Um, and again, that was, I just put a, another casting call out, uh, composer needed on, on, on a Facebook uh, site. Um, like it sounds insane, but I, that's what I did. And I got, um, I, I didn't get 200 composers. I think I might've got half a dozen or, 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 or a dozen composers. Um, and Jonathan, uh, Jonathan got in touch and I didn't have, um, the film wasn't finished by that stage. So I, I could only tell him kind of what I wanted. And he started sending me these, uh, very orchestrated, uh, saving private Ryan kind of sweeping scores that were absolutely beautiful, um, but didn't quite fit what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I, I, we just kind of had a conversation back and forth, um, you know, on, on messenger or on the phone. And then we said, uh, we kind of needed something with a bit of space that was a bit Eric Satie. Um, and then we could try and go that way. And then, um, and then when I eventually, when I was able to, edit a few of the scenes together uh, with my editor, uh, Talara. We sent it back to um, to John, and then he sent a few scores down, and it just kind of worked, just kind of worked like that. I think we might have still been in lockdown at that stage. I'm, I'm in Albany, and, and John's mm. in Perth, so um, so that was how how that arrived. There was one point where I, I didn't have any money, and I was, I was like, you know, Jonathan, I don't think this is – and Jonathan jumped on the phone and said, "Adam, I am scoring this film. I, I want to. I want to do this film." So I said, "Okay, okay, okay." okay. Um, and he did such a good. He did such an incredible job. And that that's an example of someone else. You know, just letting someone else in the room to contribute. And um, like his music, because um, I don't know what he's normally used to, but it's it's very spatial, very spacious. The music, mm-hmm. it's very minimal but it just adds so much to the scenes that it's on top of um, that. Yeah. He just did such an incredible, incredible job. So I think that might be his first feature film that he's, that he scored, but he's um, yeah, he's, he's a very bright future yeah. <laughs> ahead of him. Yeah. Especially if he keeps ringing up directors and, and abusing them the way he did. So yeah. well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, and then the theme song is actually my sister's music. She's a jazz musician in Hobart. Um, so that theme song, which is called Josephine, that was that was hers. Um, but I only used it because it worked. Like I, I was originally planning to put all my own music into the film, Andrew, mm. but only one, two songs made it in. So I was going to be, I was going to cram like thirty of my own tunes <laughs> into the film. But it just, you can only use what works. So exactly, yeah, uh, yeah. And then for somehow we managed to get two Giuseppe Verdi pieces. Um, that was recorded by the Philharmonic Orchestra in Rome. I have no idea how we got that for for the price that we got it, but yeah, so we've got these two incredible Verdi pieces in in the in the picture as well. So yeah, um, it all yeah. it all works to reinforce the, the the narrative thread, which is nice to see. Um, was the choice always to shoot down in Albany and down in your home homeland? I guess. Um, yeah, I wrote it. I wrote it to be in in the house, um, and I thought I actually had written it to be almost all in the house. But when I then when I started to do the scenes, and then I, yeah, we had like over, like I said, thirty three or thirty six different scenes, and I thought, oh, what what have I done here? Like I really thought I'd written a, 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 a movie in three rooms, but 
then we ended up climbing mountains and going to beaches and going to nightclubs down here. And it was just, yeah, just chaotic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and also it saved money if you shoot it in your own house. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It saves sense. a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Plus you've got a great landscape to, to work with down there. I mean, those, the mountain scenes and stuff like that are really quite beautiful. The views and all this, it's free. It's nature, you know, and yeah. it looks stunning on film, which is, it almost makes things a little bit easy, but, um, you know, you're utilizing it in a way that reinforces the characters and that's the main thing. It's Oh yeah. And I think it's a good contrast because so much of the film is about inside their heads. Yes. Yeah. It's nice to have that explosion of, of uh, space outside every now and then as well. So yeah. Yeah. I think, it, but it could, like, I, it could be, it could have been, um, it could have been filmed anywhere. Could have been filmed in um, uh, Westfield Carousel, kind of thing, you know, like literally. Like, so, was it scenes from a mall? I think it was for the, the Woody Allen. Yeah, scenes Bette from Midler. a mall. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and we couldn't be... get Bette Midler either. So, uh, yeah. So. I'm sure if we weren't locked down, she would have come across. You know, <laughs> for, the, for the sequel. For yeah, the sequel. Yeah. 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 Edward and Isabella and her mother-in-law. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So where to from here for you? I know that that's a terrible thing to say when your film hasn't even come out yet because it always feels like... I know that authors and filmmakers always get frustrated when they're like, well, I haven't even finished doing this particular one. But I'm curious for you, like, given the hats that you're wearing, the multiple different hats that you're wearing... um, what are you finding comfortable right now to continue on creatively? Um, I've, I've got a, a, I've got a, another book coming out at the end of next year. Um, and bird is getting translated into German in the middle part of the, the next year. Nice. Um, so that'll keep me, that'll keep me a little busy. That'll stroke my ego long enough, Andrew. So I can, <laughs> I can sit and watch some TV or something next year. Um, but I'd love to make another film, but I, I just I just want to follow this process through to the end mm. um, because it's it's like it's a very even for a very small budget it's still a very expensive hobby. Oh yeah. So I'd, I'd absolutely love to make a film every year or every one one every two years or something like that. Like I'd absolutely love to, um, but I don't know if I can afford to. So I'll just see how it goes, and I don't need I don't need this movie to make lots and lots of money. Um, but it would be nice to be able to make a tiny bit of money off it um, and rather than ask everyone to work for free on the next one, it would be nice just to be able to pay. Um, and even because you're only shooting for three weeks, it would be nice to pay everyone a 1000 bucks a week, you know, pay, pay the guy that holds the boomstick a 1000 bucks a week for three weeks, the lighting guy, the camera guy, all that kind of stuff, you know, Rather than, rather than beg and, and cajole people into into working for free. You can do that once. I don't know if you can do that twice. Yeah. Um, but it only takes a little bit, you know, it takes a little chunk to be able to do another one. So I'm hoping just to um, to make a little chunk so I can so I can kind of pay it forward and, and, and make another one. So Because yeah. the only people that got paid on the movie were the actors and the caterer. Yeah. Right. No one else. So. And, that, yeah. and that's unfortunately the reality for Australian independent films. You know, it's the reality yeah. of a lot of Australian films and it makes it hard for sure because it's um, it's frustrating. You know, we, we should have a film industry that is able to support films of varying scales and making yeah. sure that people get paid. But it's also the nature of the world that we're living in at the moment with the pandemic and 
uh, you know, everything. It's it's a whole egg which is very hard to break, basically. And uh, we're getting there, though. I think the whole industry is getting there. It's just going to take time, um, which is frustrating, for sure. Yeah, It is. I mean, but, I mean, you can't, obviously, it's a privileged space to be in as well. So, of I mean, I, I'm... I'm I'm reluctant to like be complaining about it, yeah. but like it only, it would only take say sixty or seventy thousand dollars for everyone to get paid just to comfortably work for for a few weeks. Mm. Like it wouldn't. Now that would that would mean the writer and the director still is not getting paid. So you know, so maybe we'd need three hundred and seventy thousand <laughs> if that was the case. You know, just to pay everyone else, we, you wouldn't need. You're not talking about millions or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, like, I, I think a really nice idea, instead of, like, Scream West giving out a million dollars to one person, if they gave out 100,000 to 10 people and then worked in some kind of screening arrangement where once a month at the back lot or on SBS they showed these films um, on, a, on a rolling basis, you know, the last Sunday of every month, mm. these $100,000 films. Like, I think that would be a really nice way to maybe think about, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to. Yeah. Anyway. I'll stop yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, there's different ways up the mountain and as things get cheaper and cheaper, they're still expensive, but they're not prohibitively expensive. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about the, as we kind of wrap up our discussion, um, I want to talk about the WA screen culture awards as well, because your film is nominated before it's even released. It's nominated for an award. So congratulations for that. Um, ah, thanks. Andy. Yeah. Thank what does that mean to you as a, as a filmmaker to be kind of um, validated? Yeah. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Like, uh, yeah, it's so surreal. It's absolutely crazy. Um, my, myself and my partner, Talara, who's also the editor in the film, we've been like working on this now for, I think we stopped in around October or, or August, September, October this year, um, and we were shooting from November. So we've just been working on this for over a year, and then the writing and the casting before that, another six months. So it's just been a hell of a lot of, um, you know, that half an hour every day, sometimes uh, two or three hours a day, and sometimes you have like a nervous meltdown and you, and you need to do a week's break because um, your editing suites crashed for the fourth time and, you know, just whatever, all this kind of stuff. So at the beginning, when you when you say, I'm going to make a film, you're just trying to make a film. Like, you're just trying to make a film. Um, that was the, that was the goal. And now to, to turn around and have it nominated for Best Movie Made in WA is just insane. Like, it's so insane. Yeah. Um, I, I can't even believe it. I can't believe it. Well, congratulations. Yeah. It must be really bloody good, Andrew. It must be amazing. <laughs> well, it's it's great to see. You know, it's it's nice to see yeah. the industry. And having watched, I would probably hazard a guess and say maybe about 75% of the films that have been nominated, um, it is a really prestigious lineup that is there. It's a really good lineup. And that's the thing I... I like what I'm able to do in the fact that I'm able to celebrate and support these different films because um, there are a lot of great films that are made in WA. Usually I say yeah. we, but I've never made a film in my life, but I, I, I like to be able to celebrate it as much as I can. And, you yeah. know, there are... Well, you were the first, Andrew, you were the very first person that got backed. Oh, well... <laughs> you were... I'm, I'm, I'm serious. When you were talking earlier about what your contribution is, like... 
when you were the first person to get back and say, I've watched the film and I really enjoyed it. Oh, that's good. Uh, and and, and it, it had been uh, over a month since anyone I had heard from anybody. And I was on my way to Hobart Airport to pick um, Talara up and I was thinking to myself, what 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 have I done for the last what 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 have I wasted in the last two years of my life on? And then I got your email, and it was yeah, it was just so beautiful. So um, thank you. Oh look, yeah. you're welcome, and I, I really appreciate you having gotten in touch with me because I think sometimes I sit here and I get emails and I'm like. I can't believe somebody's emailed me. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm like, I said that yeah, to my that partner. You, I'm like, Again? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I, yeah. I can't, like, I've been doing this for years and years and years. And I still pinch myself when I get to talk to different filmmakers. I, I still get very, um, like, the, uh, what's the word when the, you know, imposter syndrome, I think it is, where basically oh, you yeah. sit there and you're like, shit, I don't know why people are getting in touch with me for these things. And that sounds a bit stupid because I know what I'm worth in a lot of ways, but um, there are still days where you sit there and you go, huh? <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. right. No worries. Somebody's paying attention. Because sometimes yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. I'll put up a review or an interview and I can see the metrics of it on the website. I see who is interacting with it. But then yeah. I can't see the, I can't sometimes see their Facebook posts or things like that, that, you know, so I don't know what they're saying. I don't know if they're enjoying it or not. And so you get an email sometimes and you're like, oh, cool. Somebody's actually paying attention. Somebody's enjoying what I'm doing or somebody can see a value in what I'm doing is like, hey, maybe you can help me promote this film and stuff. And I'm always honored when that happens because um, it means that I'm heading in the right direction. It means that I'm doing what I feel is supposed to be valuable and important for the Australian film industry because... Well, uh, just wait until your uh, book comes out. And you're you're going to need to hire a, an assistant just to answer the phone. Yeah, I'm a bit terrified, to be honest. <laughs> 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 like, I, I've done some really, really fascinating interviews. I've done... I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a little bit excited about getting it out there because of the interviews I've done. Uh, I've done. Like, I interviewed Sally Aitken today, who... Her film, um, Playing With Sharks, is on Disney Plus at the moment. And, oh, gosh, it's all about Valerie Taylor. And, you know, it's a really fantastic interview. I just absolutely love doing it. But I'm yeah. continually privileged by the fact that I get to talk to people in this manner. And um, I, I listen to a lot of interviews that people do. And I read a lot of interviews that people do. And I don't know if there are many people who are doing it in the same kind of style that I'm doing. Like, I'm not trained in this at all. Um, when I did my first interview about seven years ago, I was scared shitless because um, <laughs> I yep. was not really a conversationalist. I, I didn't know how to talk to people. I was introverted, as you wouldn't believe. And it's like, I just like, uh, you know, how do I break out of this? And I, and I thought, well, I can talk about movies. I know enough about movies. So maybe I can talk to the filmmakers. And so... Um, the first interview I did was with Eddie Martin, whose documentary, All This Mayhem, is one of my favorite documentaries. And I spent an hour talking to him and I was like, at the end of it, I was shaking. And I'm like, oh gosh, what have I done? What have I done? And then I listened back to him, I'm like, oh, this isn't bad. And so every single year I've kind of grown from there and have improved as somebody who does these things and talks about film and stuff. And 
and I get a bit bored by the 10 question thing. Like I get a bit bored by having 10 questions written down on paper and just not listening to yeah. what the person's answer is and feeding off on that. And so I feel that the conversations have been a little bit more organic um, and it's more enjoyable for me. It's more enjoyable for you and for the people who I'm doing the interviews with because it's less, it's less static. Um, it feels natural. And yeah, exactly. That's what I've enjoyed doing. And some of the conversations I've had, yeah, uh, it's been good. I mean, I'm excited to be able to get this thing out there, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, it's terrifying, but it's exciting.